0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: It is 7.06 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Well, you know, I get to meet – one of the great things about my job is I get to meet a lot of people and people say, oh, you've got such a cool job. And it is a cool job. I, I will absolutely say that. But sometimes you meet people or you talk to people and you think that's really a cool job. My next guest fits into that category. He is Chris Riemenschneider, and he is the pop rock music critic. If that's the correct title, we'll ask him for the Star Tribune. He is also, he literally wrote the book, I mean this, on First Avenue. He wrote a, a beautiful, really cool coffee table book uh, on First Avenue that I hope is still available because I actually got it for my husband for Christmas one year. And he loved it, uh, and he's also here to talk with, to us about the new First Avenue exhibit at the Minnesota History Center. Chris Riemann Schneider, thank you so much for coming on.
2: Yeah, hey, how are you?
1: Great. Now, do, do I have you like your official title? Like, yeah, yeah,
2: music critic, music re- reporter. You know, sometimes right. we're, we're now, doing the real reporting. Do, do you, R- you get crime scene stuff? Crime scene,
1: but do, I mean, do you get that? Sometimes people are like, "That's a really great job."
2: Yeah. And I, I always, you know, they, they always, they always seem to say that after I've just reviewed a Nickelback concert or something really terrible. <laughs> and I, and I roll my eyes stupidly. Yeah. No, of course it most days it is a very fun job and, and, uh, never dull. That's for sure.
1: Right. And and you did, when did you write the book on first half?
2: Well, uh, I wrote it for about two and a half years and, and, uh, the the action of writing it and then it they published it just before uh, Christmas in 2017 so it's been out about a year and a half
1: right and um uh, anyway it, it's a great book and is it still out can people still get it
2: oh yeah okay yeah, no, yeah it's it, this 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 exhibit they they kind of made sure they're going to have copies uh, for people who well, go to this exhibit
1: because so. it, it really is it, it really is great and for so many generations it's it's you know it really is such an iconic place and it means so many things to so many people in different ways. And I think you, you kind of take, take us through that. Obviously uh, it is, and forever is linked with Prince who you covered extensively. Um, What is your take on, on the exhibit in in general? Yeah, no,
2: I mean, the exhibit is is heavily based on, on my book. And, and um, so I, for me personally it was just a thrill it's, it's it was almost like my book come to life you know uh in in almost like a movie version of my book and or a 3d movie version of my book uh they but they they went above and beyond the book too the the folks at the Minnesota Historical Society they they did some really clever stuff in there um the, you know the, i've uh, it's been open about a month now and the the, the feedback it's been really positive but it's I, i'm blown away when it's people that either a have have never been to the club and and that's that's totally fine but that that, they're, that they take the t- they understand that okay if it's at the history center it must be something special which, which which I love and then there's the people that have have that go there twice a week and you know these super punk rock people that you you know aren't impressed with much but they they to hear a positive reaction from them has, has been really nice too
1: right and then you know and, and I think. Um... And certainly you did not, but there were many of us here um, when Prince was with us who who sort of took it for granted that there was this superstar in our midst. And, you know, you, you see it sometimes when people are obviously from a foreign country and they're kind of, you know, in downtown. They kind of have their sort of lost look around them. Invariably, they're trying to find their way to First Avenue. Yeah, uh, and and it's because uh, of Prince. What was it about First Ave um, that, that that he's because he this is somebody who could obviously play, who played all kinds of venues everywhere. Yeah. What was the connection there, and what was the energy that he liked there?
2: The, you know, it's interesting that that uh, about a year before he he played his first First Avenue show, which which at the time it wasn't called First Avenue; it was it was called Sam's. Um, and about a year before that he played the orpheum uh and it didn't didn't i mean people you know it had its moments but it just didn't click and then and then and then here at at sams it it was it was huge and and it part, part of it was just this this open big dance floor uh which obviously with with prince was important as opposed to a seated venue uh but you know it really was he, he, and and people in my book talk about this who, who knew him that that he you know he he was he was a rock guy he was, but he wanted this he loved the diversity there I mean there they had rock, they had world music there they had R and B there you know it it, it was kind of the, the literally being in downtown it was kind of the bridge between the north minneapolis population and and other parts of, of minneapolis geographically and and you know sort of just uh uh you know spiritually i guess and yeah he 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 just for some reason really clicked on with that place and and uh he he went on to play he've he only played nine full shows there uh but really each of, each of those shows which there's believe me there's bootlegs of of each, each of those shows uh they're they're all really something special they're all really unique they're all different from each other he was always trying out new material or he was about to go on tour and was warming up or sometimes he was just uh blowing off steam after after a long tour and and uh having fun and they're they're all really cool shows and of course You know, the the prime example of that is on on August 3rd, 1983, he did this benefit show for the Minnesota Dance Theater, which was sort of just a front for... He he was testing out the, the songs of... He wasn't just testing them out, the songs of Purple Rain. He was recording them, and three of the songs that we hear on the the album version of Purple Rain were recorded live at First Avenue and including the the song Purple Rain and they just kind of cut out the audience noise and and most people don't know that those are those are legitimately live tracks.
1: Right. And and actually well and now there's so much I mean you we could you know talk to you for a long time about this now, now there's so much about how much he did record um and and the treasure trove that that exists of of all kinds of uh, recordings that he made which he did not anticipate obviously those ones he he had complete control he liked having that control he had control over the release of those uh, a lot now is getting released that uh, he apparently may not have wanted released certainly when he was alive I mean
2: yeah it's that's yeah no that's that's heavily debated amongst folks that that uh, love him but uh, um you know I uh I my feeling is always I mean, he's one of the most amazing musicians in the world. We need to hear anything and everything by him. Um, he's, you know, whether he liked it or not, but it's it's going to make a lot of other people happy. Right. So why, why not?
1: Right. Um, so tell us about this exhibit because it's it's it it's, it is open and it's going through twenty twenty. Um, what is it? Uh, and as I said, your book was great, and you're saying it's like taking your book and kind of putting it up in 3D. Um, what um, What are some of the things that you really like, or that people who have been through it really like?
2: Well, uh, lots of things. Uh, one of the you walk in and there's there's a there's a nice, real big section with big uh, photos on on the original Greyhound bus depot, which is what it was. Before it became First before it became a nightclub, it was it was the main Greyhound bus depot, and it was actually quite a gorgeous building at the time, and and kind of a, a crown jewel of, of downtown. So there's a real nice section of that, and that you, on the opposite end, it, it goes up to really very current of what's going on at First Avenue Avenue today. There's a real nice cross section of, of the groups that are playing there now, which it's it's more diverse than it's ever been. I I would argue that it's maybe more vibrant in terms of the local scene than than it's ever been um so i like the yin and yang of that a couple of the really fun features of it there's some really great audio visual stuff they've got this this one room that's sort of a a, a make make made up version of the main room with with the the stage and the, the the screen that goes up and they 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 show these this video Throughout that, with with interviews with you know people who played there, people who worked there, really some some fun stories, and then they have uh, a, a all Seventh Street entry, which you know is the the kid sister, the tiny right. club attached, and uh, they have old video clips from there, and you see early. Video of the Jayhawks and the replacements when they were playing the entry is you know just baby bands and that stuff's really fun too. Right. Last, yeah. l- last but not least, there's a, there's a the Doom Tree. Doom Tree was a, a big local hip hop collective of, of the past decade plus. They we have their old tour van. and Their old tour van is, oh, wow. is there, and it's it's sort of an interactive thing now where where, where it's it's p- partly for the kids. Kids can try to pack. All of Doomtree's gear in, into the van, and it's it's a it's a fun feature. It's I, I just just over the weekend saw someone tweeting a video of uh, of these. The, uh, well, the, the, they called them grandma aged women they you know they like my like,
1: age, you know <laughs> no no they look,
2: they look like people that you, women that you know probably aren't hanging at the club much these days who knows forty nine years ago they might have been there for the Joe yeah. Cocker opening concert but they they were they were having a blast with with the Doomtree van, and I just thought that was so cool.
1: Right. Well, it's, it, and it's interesting and what you were saying about the 7th Street entry. Obviously, that, that has such a following as well. And seeing some of those early things, I just, just on a side note there, I mean, I think you obviously are, are the chronicler of the, of the, uh, of, you know, of the Minneapolis music scene, the Minnesota music scene. I, I think again, I would say, argue that, that people here who, uh, live here don't quite get how big a deal it is. And of all people, this is just a, a I, I realize this is a bit of a tangent. Of all people that I was interviewing who mentioned just the two bands you mentioned that, that the early video of um, playing in the 7th Street entry, Beto O'Rourke. Yeah, yeah, sure is it. Yeah. <laughs> The presidential candidate. And I, I was at his uh, town hall at Edison High School and he, he talked a lot about that. Um, and the photographer, the, the camera guy I was with, spent a lot of time at First Ave and actually you know, went to many, many concerts out at Paisley Park, but a lot of time at First Ave. And so knew all these and knew many of the band people. And I didn't think I was going to get a political question in. I mean, they, they could <laughs> <Yeah>. have talked <laughs> the yeah, whole time great. about that. That's uh, great. But um, yeah, no, I mean, I,
2: I, I've i talked, you know, I talked to musicians that are coming to town, the t- touring musicians from, from other towns and. You know, from from the veterans on down to the up and comers, they they inevitably First Avenue comes up, and how much they like playing there, or for the older acts. It's you know how how important it was to their uh, coming up, and and so I I I kind of knew going into writing the book that that this this was more than just a local thing. This this very much is a national, maybe even international, uh, recognized uh, place.
1: Yeah, we're chatting with Chris Riemenschneider. Schneider. He is uh, the Star Tribune rock pop music critic. Uh, and he, you can read him in the Star Tribune, but he also has, as I said, literally written the book on First Ave, and apparently this, this exhibit, which I have not yet seen, uh, you know, takes your book, which kind of chronicles First Ave, and, and kind of puts the music, the video clips, all of that out there. Let me ask you, on, on the print stuff... Mm-hmm. One of the things is I, I actually have run into some folks who did play in some of the early, early, early bands with Prince. Yeah. And is there video of that out there? Because they were having trouble finding it. And they're, they're yeah. convinced that someone was. And it's, you know, of course, it wasn't that long ago, but it was in, in the area. Now now there's video of everything.
2: Yeah. there's It's pretty, pretty scant. Um, one, one of my colleagues, Andrea Swenson... Uh, she she wrote a book called uh, "Got to Be Something Here," and that was that was kind of the the '60s and '70s R and B and soul scene here in town, uh, leading up to Prince, and Prince just kind of comes in at the end of it. Uh, there, in the, one of the things about that book was is, is she really had to research that. There really wasn't a lot. A lot of that wasn't well documented, unfortunately. The earliest Prince stuff I've seen is he, his very first Minneapolis show was at the Capri theater in in North Minneapolis. And it's, it's a grainy black and white video, but that's, that is all over YouTube. And and, uh, it's, it's cool. He, he famously kind of wasn't, he wasn't Prince right away. He, he needed to work on his live show a little bit. And, and, uh, uh, obviously, it, it worked out. He 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 got it down eventually.
1: He 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 certainly did. And um and how old would he have been in in that one? I mean, what or what year approximately do you think that? Because uh, I have team. seen. I think I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's not it's great seven, quality, seven, but I, I mean, probably about nineteen or twenty. I would I would say.
1: Wow. Okay. Because I there there are some stories from some folks who who played with him. You know, in in the high school years, and you yeah. know, you think, gosh, wouldn't that be cool? And and you you have to think that maybe. Perhaps somewhere it exists, um, and obviously, if somebody's got it, uh, it's it's worth it's worth a worth pretty penny. But yeah, uh, I don't
2: think anybody's got it sitting. There. If, if somebody does have it, I'm sure they're not just keep keeping it under the bed at this point. I'm, I'm sure it'll I'm sure it'll get out if it does exist.
1: Right. Um, well, Chris uh, Riemenschneider, I, I, as I said, I want to go over there and the History Center. I'm sure they did this up, and I'm sure they did this right because every single thing I've I've gone to over there, they really do a good job. I mean, these people they, are really good do. what they do.
2: Yeah, no, and and I uh, I mean that's one of the reasons why I went to them with with the book in the first place because the, the book is the Minnesota Historical Society Press, kind of their publishing arm, because they, they do oh, that's right. such a good job, and and I I did kind of like playing up the. The idea of, of this being a Minnesota landmark, that this really is a, a historic landmark in Minnesota, and, and the exhibit just,
1: you know, totally hammers that home. Right. Absolutely. Well, it, it certainly is. And as I said, you know, I see people, you know, in downtown, and you, you can almost tell <laughs> every way. They, and they got the cameras, and they're kind of like looking, and you're like, it's a few blocks over there. It's a little hard with all the construction. but um, Yeah,
2: exactly. I was going to say, they, they, yeah, I get lost trying to find it myself.
1: Me That's too. Up, and really, and I, yeah. I, I work downtown as well. Chris Riemenschneider, thank you so much for joining us. I yeah, really appreciate it. Okay, Take absolutely. absolutely. Take care. Um, really, this book, um, if you have a music lover, somebody who's in, in, into the music scene, first of all, I, it's, it sounds like it's a really cool exhibit. And as I said, I do know people who... Um, you know, Chris Riemenschneider actually, you know, new Um I, I know people who worked with him and, and were in some of the earlier bands, and, and they say it's just really a cool exhibit. And uh, they do do an amazing job over there. And the book itself is really a fun book. And I'm glad to hear that they have copies over there uh, at the exhibit, which you can purchase. I mean, great gift for somebody, maybe Father's Day or a birthday gift for somebody who's into the music scene here. And as I said, I interviewed Beto O'Rourke, guys running for president. And, uh, you know, I, I, I should talk about it because I haven't really talked about that on the radio. He was here a number of weeks ago. And uh, very personable, very nice guy. Had a packed house at, at Edison High School. The photographer I was with, uh, Joe, is just somebody who's a big music guy, and and especially you know in, in, in this era that, that, that Beto Beto was a fan of, and I was like, I was like, I kind of need to ask him about running for president, and they could have talked music all night. Uh, anyway, folks, uh, you are listening to News Talk 830 WCCO. I'm overdue for a break. Keep it right here, though. Much more ahead on this edition of Saturday Night with Esme. Hello. It's 725 in the Twin Cities, Esme Murphy, along with our producer, Devin Marshall. And just, you know, talking to Chris uh, Schneider. It, it, it really is amazing, you know, what a wonderful music scene we had. And you were saying how, you know, you didn't really realize that some of, some of the songs from the album, the Purple Rain were recorded at First Ave. And you you might not know, but obviously that's the perspective that he brings. Yeah. And it's just um, – it's amazing. And it, it's just – it's so sad the more you think about what a genius he was and how he could play um, – he could play every track. Yeah, and <laughs> you know, every instrument he didn't, he didn't need it. any. He didn't need a band. He, he had – you know, he, he, could, he could play every instrument. I mean it just – Really, what 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 an amazing amazing individual! And um, it's interesting. Uh, someday we should get Chris Riemenschneider Schneider on because he is really one of the experts on Prince. Uh, but there is a debate now about releasing all this video and audio that he recorded. And obviously, this he had these super high standards. But you know, Chris said something interesting there that you know he was such a genius, such a gift to, to all of us. You almost do want to hear anything that he had recorded, even if he felt it wasn't quite ready. Par.
3: Yeah, yeah, I would want to see see in anything he did too. Any right. videos? I'm always interested in the behind the scenes stuff. Oh, sure. Just in the sure. studio, being you know his creative process, all of that. So I would watch any of that.
1: Right, and and it would be fascinating to see. I mean, I I find it you know, and Chris was talking about how and he would know. How little video there is of those, the really early years, you know, when he was a teenager growing up, because he was playing all over the place. And he had a band, I think, that was a rival band to Jimmy Jam's. You were talking about the great legendary producer Jimmy Jam. Uh, But apparently, there's very little out there that is in the public domain, but you have to think somebody's got it in their attic somewhere and, you know, the real to real stuff. that would be really, really cool. But that exhibit at the history center is supposed to be amazing. And I, as I said, I've been to other exhibits there, and these people they do a great job at the history center. It's a really, really fun uh, place to go, and they really make it live. I mean, they really do, which is which is very, very cool. So I'll have to check that out. But he is, yeah, that book of his on First Ave is very, is a very, very cool book, and and I think anybody who spent any time in Minnesota. Most of us have been to First Ave, haven't you? Even I've been to First yeah. Ave. Oh yeah, I've been there for
3: um, a few shows. And what's so cool, and I can't even imagine seeing Prince there, is it's such a small venue.
1: It is a small venue. Yeah, know, I mean that that's what's
3: amazing. It's such a personal experience, right. and I've there is some video of Prince playing there, and you know they'd say he'd go up for hours and play, right? It. Or he'd come straight there from a a big gig, and he'd go, which is a, another amazing thing, like. um Chris was saying that he he'd come back straight off to First Avenue to just right let and then out. and
1: while the parties or his own parties at, at Paisley Park that he would play at I went for hours as well. I mean, he was just they had that much um you know, just energy and, and virtuosity. So and love for yeah, just just amazing amazing stuff. Uh, well, I have to get over there and check that uh Check that out because it does sound like a really cool exhibit, and as I said, they do a really great job over there. And the book, if it's completely modeled on the book, the book's really good and really interesting and has some great photos and um, was also published by um, Minnesota Historical Society Press, which does a great job, by the way, of publishing books. They really do – they've got some great titles out there uh, and and really interesting stuff and just, just you know, fun reads and, and – Great visually as well. Uh, all right, folks, uh, we do need to take a break. Um, we are going to give you some weather. You'll want to hear the weather. It's actually going to be warmer. Yay, warmth! Uh, and looks like it's going to be pretty decent there. Um, and then uh, in the seven thirty at seven thirty-five, next half hour, we're going to talk about a remarkable act of, of philanthropy. Free Y memberships for thousands of Twin Cities teens. We did a little thing on this on TV, and I thought, you know, I want to do more on this because that's a really cool gift. It's from the Richard Schultz Family Foundation. Richard Schultz, of course, the founder of Best Buy. Really a remarkable gift. Uh, I can't think of anything more important than to have you know teenagers have some place to go and, and to be and to hang out. And that's exactly what he's done, and we're going to tell you how you can take advantage of that. And then in the 8 o'clock hour, of course, the one and only David Schultz. So let's take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we will give you uh, the weather, and then we, when we come back after the break, after that, how you can take advantage uh, for a young person for a free, Y membership. It is 7.34 in the Twin Cities. I want to invite you to tune into WCCO-TV Sunday morning, 6 a.m., 10.30 a.m., Uh, Matt Brickman actually will be in for Mike Augustinac, who has a well-deserved day off. And at 10.30 a.m., it's a real honor to have the governor of Minnesota, Tim Walls, come in and give his perspective about the legislature, what got done, what didn't get done, what he'd like to get done. Uh, He always has a lot of energy. He's actually a, a very fun person to interview and uh, he will have his take on what he'd like to see uh, get done perhaps the next legislative session and what his, he is most proud of when it comes to this past session. All right. Right now we're going to talk about a wonderful act of philanthropy. And actually this is – it may be – the it's definitely the second year. It may be actually more years that, that the Richard Schultz Family Foundation has done this. They are providing free – why memberships for thousands of teens across the twin cities how cool is this i, I just think this is so wonderful courtney harness is uh, the executive director and program lead at get summer at ymca and courtney am i saying your, your last name correctly yeah you got it okay courtney um this is so cool and how long has, has the richard schultz foundation done this
0: you nailed it right on. Uh, this is the third year, third year. that the okay. Richard M. Schultz uh, Family Foundation has been providing funding for Get Some. Okay,
1: because I think, I mean, th- this is such an amazing thing. I mean, this is really a living gift. Uh, tell us how it works and, and how it's worked in the past few years and, and how people can take advantage of it.
0: Yeah, sure. So first, and you really started us off right. I cannot say thank you enough to the Richard M. Schultz Family Foundation. They're partnership and commitment to young people in the community has is, is just been incredible and continues to be incredible uh, throughout a lot of our work that we're doing with the YMCA. So I want to make sure that we thank them first. Uh, so in our third year, we're really excited. We, we've added so many new opportunities for young people this year. And really what Get Summer does is allow... Uh, young people entering grades nine through 12, the opportunity to access a free YMCA membership from June 1st through August 31st at 26 locations uh, across the Metro and all the way down to Rochester and even over into Hudson.
1: Oh, into Hudson. Yeah. That's great. Okay. So um, when you say it's a free, who qualifies for this? Anyone qualifies.
0: So as long as uh, you're a high school student or you're going into grade nine through 12, uh, that's the only requirement. Otherwise, uh, everything is free and you get all of the same opportunities and access that a regular YMCA member would have, uh, along with some pretty cool, unique uh, things as well.
1: And, and so – and that's something that's important because I think that there are some people who um, might be concerned that, that you know, they can't maybe afford a, a membership or whatever, but they, they think, well, I'm not exactly – super low income, even if they're middle income, they, they can qualify for a membership?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's really important to note, uh, this is so, so much more than a program or an initiative or just a membership. This is really a commitment to our young people and to our future leaders. And so we wanted to make sure that regardless of uh, race, class, income level, or where you live, you have the opportunity to access the YMCA all
1: summer long. All right. And so h- how do you go about uh, to do that? I mean, do you just, can you go to any wine there? H- how many wines again? 27? 26
0: locations uh, throughout the Metro. Uh, and like I said, into Rochester and over into Hudson.
1: Okay. Um, how, how would you go about, do you just show up at the front door?
0: Yeah. And you know, what's really cool. Uh, we actually last year added an online registration option and that option uh, exists again this year. So, super simple it's uh, www.ymcamn.org/getsummer you can register right online there
1: okay and i you know i've i've been to a few y's i actually had not been and i know the, the y um in north minneapolis had got a makeover a number of years ago and i'm just obviously behind the times but i was actually there for Uh, a wonderful program where the gym had been redone uh, as a special part of the Final Four celebrations. It was was a community project that the uh, NCAA funded. And I had not been in that Y for a long time, and it looked amazing. And and a number of the Ys just really are amazing places. Uh, Do do kids – do you think this message has gotten out to kids that this is available
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, by far. And, you know, if we want to talk about how many kids have already signed up, uh, you know, over 5,500 high school students have already signed up. We just opened registration this past Tuesday. So uh, over half of the uh, spots that we have are gone. So I would say any listeners who are thinking about it or have have kids. That are going into high school, uh, go online to that link now, or or get to your local Y and, and get them signed up. Okay.
1: Okay. And uh, you just said something that's very important. Uh, so there is a limit on this.
0: Yeah. We're and we've increased it each year. So we actually started out year one with four thousand eight hundred free memberships. We increased that to just over six thousand last year, and we bumped it up significantly this year. And we'll be able to uh, give out over ten thousand free memberships this year.
1: Wow. OK. What are some of the things cause I think, you know, people think um, maybe and, you know, teenagers, it's it's not an easy time. I mean, obviously, there, there's basketball, there's other programs, but, you know, many of the Y's have computers there where they can, you know, do kinds of online you know, searches for jobs or, you know, all kinds of things. What are some of the facilities that you have at, at uh, any number of your Y's around town?
0: Yeah, great question. And so Get Summer has three main objectives. The first one is safety, health, and well-being. And so making sure high school students have a safe, fun place to be all summer long. The second two objectives really get at uh, some of those things that you just mentioned. So the second objective is job readiness and workforce development. So young people have the opportunity uh, through partnerships with Junior Achievement, with partnerships with our own uh, YMCA human resources team to learn about what it looks like to get a job, how you go through that process, how you build a resume and how you interview, uh, really preparing themselves for, the, for that opportunity. And this year, I'm, I'm so proud of this. Uh, this year, we actually have uh, 100 spots open in our Career Pathways program just for high school students uh, in Get Summer. And Career Pathways is a 100-hour paid internship throughout the summer, so uh, really, really cool.
1: Right, and, and then also, you know, if you don't have, uh, you know, a lot of com- computer uh, access at home, I mean, if you're you know thinking about maybe going to college or looking up stuff, I mean, you've got you've got those uh, opportunities there at the Y. Um, another thing uh, too is that there are also some places where there are going to be meal programs.
0: Yeah, and another uh, another area where we've just grown significantly uh, in our third year now. So our first year we offered uh, free meals to uh, anyone at five of our locations. In 2018, we increased that to seven locations. We actually bumped that all the way up to 12 locations this year. So Monday through Friday at 12 locations, uh, anyone under the age of 18 can get a free meal at, at those locations.
1: All right. And and that's no questions asked? No questions asked. If, if you're under the age
0: of 18, uh, you walk in and get a meal. And what I would say is the times and locations for those meals are at that same website, slash get summer.
1: Okay. How has the program, so this is the third year, um, so you, you, you got off the ground two summers ago. What was it like the first summer? Was it hard to get the word out? And is the word out you know, pretty much right now, do you think?
0: Yeah, I I think the word is out. And we count on our community partners so much, you know, school districts, uh, other organizations uh, that serve young people. Obviously, all of our community boards, our our funding partners, uh, the Richard M. Schultz Family Foundation has been a fantastic partner. Uh, We do some of our own work. But the first year, I think it took us about two weeks to fill up uh, 4,800 slots. And like I said, in four days, we filled 5,500 already this year. So uh, the word is out. I think uh, young people are on to the fact that the wide is for them and that it's more than just a place to go and play basketball. I think they're starting to really understand that this is a commitment to uh, meaningful activities all summer long. And Honestly, just another way that, that the YMCA shows that we're opening doors and doing the best that we can to really push what's possible.
1: All right. We're talking to Courtney Harness. Uh, Harness, he's the executive director and program lead at Get Summer at YMCA. The Y also has, you know, information about programs in the you know neighborhoods that it's in. I mean, whether it's an educational program or, or other programs there, I mean that's what I think is so cool is that you guys really try and make yourself sort of an anchor of the neighborhood or a place where people can a conduit for all kinds of uh, programs. I don't know if there's anything you can share about the kinds of things that you might find at One Y or uh, you know or, or the information that's available on the bulletin boards. It, it it's really different from from place to place.
0: Yeah, I I would say uh, the old saying uh, across the Y goes, if you've been to one Y, you've been to one Y. And that's really true. You know, a lot of our uh, things are similar and there's a lot of congruency, but each Y specifically uh, goes out to meet the needs of their local community. So uh, what you see for a program at one Y, you might not see in another place. And so I think that's what uh, makes us unique as an organization is that we're agile enough and have the ability to really, really get in touch with our community and find out what folks need so that, so that we can meet those needs ultimately. Um, get Summer's doing the same thing. We, uh, we've asked all 26 locations to get feedback from the young people in their area and provide programming that directly meets the needs.
1: Right. And let me ask you, do you have any um, information also about, you know, family memberships? You know, people might be thinking, well, gee, you know, I've got a teen, but, you know, maybe I'd like to do that. Or maybe this is it might be a little out of reach. I mean, do you provide help for other people who are also trying to join the Y?
0: Yeah, I love that question, and I'll tell you a little bit about our financial assistance uh, program. But I do want to mention another, a new aspect of Get Summer this year is uh, we've really uh, upped our focus on the entire family, not just the high school student. And so, uh, one time per month, so once in June, July, and August, each of the twenty-six locations will be hosting a family event or activity, and each day that that family event or activity is hosted the entire family of that Get Summer member can go to the Y for free. So we want to make sure that the whole family gets the opportunity to understand what this experience uh, for their child or for their brother or sister is like uh, and experience it themselves in a way that's really fun, really active, uh, really meaningful and engaging. And so, you know, the hope is uh, by the end of the summer and uh, through opportunities like this conversation that, people begin to understand a little bit that the why is for everyone. The why is for all. It doesn't matter what your income level is or where you live or any of those things. Uh, there are options for you. And so I would really, uh, really urge folks. If you feel like uh, the why is the place for you, stop in, talk to uh, some of our membership teams, talk to some of our staff and find out what those options are for you.
1: All right. And, and again, um, where can you get information um about like online and then also in person about these free Y memberships for for young people.
0: Yeah, so the online link for to register is MN org slash get summer. That's where uh, kids and or their parents or guardians can go to register right now, uh, or stop into any one of our uh, twenty six membership locations. And just ask about the Get Summer program. You can fill out uh, a paper form at the desk and get set up right away.
1: Right, and um, don't forget Hudson, Wisconsin. Yeah, and Hudson and Rochester. We oh, and Rochester. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Well, listen, um, Courtney Harness, uh, Executive Director and Program Lead of Get Summer at the YMCA. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Yeah, thank you. Really appreciate the opportunity, and we're really excited.
1: Well, it is. It, it really is. I mean, there's so many wonderful philanthropists. Uh, you know, in the Twin Cities that do so many creative things. And, and I really think kudos to the Richard Schultz, to Richard Schultz and, and his foundation and the Family Foundation for doing this because this, that, that's a really, really cool idea and it's making a difference for so many young people and so many families to know, and I, I think it probably is such a peace of mind for parents as well to know that, that their teens, who sometimes get overlooked because they're not little kids anymore, have some place they can go.
0: Yeah, absolutely. A, a great opportunity for so many young people and so many families uh, to know that that they can be safe and have a good time all summer long and better themselves. And like you said, we just absolutely could not have done it without the Richard M. Schultz Family Foundation. We're so appreciative of their support uh, and really, really grateful.
1: Absolutely. Well, just a remarkable, again, act of philanthropy that is benefiting so many people here in the Twin Cities. Uh, Courtney Harness, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, folks. We have much more ahead here on News Talk 830 WCCO coming up in our next hour. We've got Professor David Schultz. Uh, we got weather. we got news. we got all kinds of things for you. But first, we do have to take a break. You are listening to News Talk 830. It is 7.51 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock, along with uh, producer Devin Marshall. Also want to give a shout-out to the producer... Of this show set up all the guests, uh, the one and only Susan Blanche, who was, I think she was the first, one of the first producers I worked with here uh, when I first came aboard here on CCO Radio. And it's been a while and it's great to be back with Susan again. Uh, we've got, as I said, much more ahead coming up in our next hour. We're going to chat with uh, Professor David Schultz. Uh, really interested to get his view on the statements by Robert Mueller. Uh, that some people view as a non-statement? Was he being uh, too unequivocal? Did he punt once again? Or was this statement uh, more damning of the president? Or was it, once again, as the president said, uh, by omission and exoneration? Uh, That's something, I mean, he said he couldn't exonerate the president, but he didn't charge him with a crime or say that he was guilty. And he did say that uh, you couldn't do that because it was unconstitutional to charge a president with a crime. Uh, Now there is tension because that seems to have kicked it over to Congress's way. And a lot of people – and you may hear this again at the top of the hour. CBS News last hour had it in their story that there are some Democrats, including some here, who are frustrated with Nancy Pelosi – and the, DF, the Democratic House leadership for their failure to impeach the president uh, or failure to take action on impeaching the president. So we'll get his views on that. Um, also want to invite you to tune in to WCCO-TV Sunday morning, um, 6 a.m., 10.30 a.m. I'm Matt Brickman filling in for Mike Augustinac, and hopefully we will have a very pleasant forecast. The forecast is better than it has been in a while and then at 1030, we have uh, two very important guests. Uh, the first, as I mentioned before, Governor Tim Walz. Uh, it'll be great to see the governor, see what he has to say about the legislative session, criticism that it didn't, that a lot of the work was done in secret. And I'm going to ask David Schultz about that. I mean, there was a response from the Republican Senate majority leader, uh, Senator Kazelka, who said, you know, if we hadn't done it behind closed doors – There are people who couldn't have brought up certain issues. And I couldn't help but think when I heard that there were issues that Senator Gazelka couldn't bring up uh, because he would have been, as he said it in his statement, uh, he said, well, you know, people would have been, you know, gotten a firing squad from their own caucus. Well, I think that that probably plays on both sides as well. But does more need to be done in terms of getting things more out in the open? A lot of people feel – that That is something that, that needs to be done and that should be reserved, uh, you know, for future legislative sessions. So we'll talk to him. And then the other guest uh, that we have uh, is a very interesting woman. Her name is Cheryl Hill, and she founded uh, an organization called Depart Smart. And her son, um, a number of years ago, uh, went on a high school trip to Japan, one of these, you know, trips that seem so fabulous, obviously – not cheap, but just, you know, a wonderful trip, that's chaperoned, and tragically, he uh, died. Uh, he had a preexisting condition, and um, Cheryl you know, sued. They were not, um, you know, he, Tyler, was not taken care of uh, properly, and he passed away. And Cheryl has really devoted her life to making sure that other people's foreign trips or trips here in this country go smoothly. And one of the things that she is an expert in And this is not something that people really think about because you hear about these horror stories. She's an expert about uh, insurance needs. and, And think about it. If you or a loved one went on an overseas trip, and let's say, let's talk about a minor. More and more young people used to be something that was kind of a rarity. But now not just college kids, but even high school kids are going abroad. Would you know... How much your insurance would cover if your minor child or minor relative got sick or if you got sick on an international trip? How much would your insurance cover? And is it possible it would cover nothing? Would you have to pay out of pocket for the whole thing? Well, in some cases, that's the case. And so Cheryl Hill has formed this nonprofit to help educate people about traveling not just abroad but also uh here at home and what you need to know what kinds of precautions you need to take uh, and she's always informative she's always keeping up on some of the latest uh situations that have occurred and it's something that I think a lot of people you think you think the laws are or the rules are going to be the same everywhere just because you've got an insurance and that's not the case and I think and there are probably people out there listening to me right now who you know, have gone in to have a baby and they thought they were completely covered and they were covered at that hospital. Oh my goodness, the anesthesiologist is out of network. And you're kind of going, what? I'm having a baby and the anesthesiologist is out of network? How am I supposed to deal with that when I'm having a baby? But well, you shouldn't have to, but those kinds of things come up. So we're going to talk to Cheryl Hill about that. Uh, so anyway, it should be a really cool show uh, with uh, Matt Brickman and myself. And again, uh, Governor Tim Walls will be a guest and also Cheryl Hill. The founder of Depart Smart, with all kinds of advice on traveling, uh, not just abroad, but also here at home. And this is going to be a very busy travel season. Article I saw uh, on a number of networks just talked about how it's going to be a terrible summer for air travel. And uh, part of me thinks that if you couldn't That you need to really add up how long it's going to take you from the very moment you leave the house to get to the airport, to park, to get the baggage checked, to get through security, waiting for the airplane, you know, waiting for it to take off, all of that. The other end, you get there, do you have to rent a car? And is it, in fact, better to drive? I think sometimes it is. (laughs) It depends on, on how long the drive is. Anyway, keep it here, folks. News Talk A3O. David Schultz is next.